0: Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants, covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts, Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson.
1: Welcome to another episode of Wise Up. Today we are joined by Rachel Sakurai, General Manager Australia from ComputerShare. Rachel is a highly motivated professional with over 20 years experience in the financial services, technology, fintech industry, with most of her corporate career spent within an ASX 50 listed entity. Her specialties include executive leadership, business development, talent growth, solution selling, change enablement, corporate governance and strategic thinking. She is known as a visionary who has the unique ability to transform challenges into opportunities, bringing improved profitability and an engaged team. Rachel is incredibly well-connected within the business community and is seen as a trusted advisor within the markets she operates in. Rachel has experience both working for boards and serving on boards, including a former advisory board position for an A-league club. Rachel has always been passionate about making a positive impact and has been heavily involved in innovating changes and fundraising for some of the world's most disadvantaged communities. Her love of sport, business acumen, and commitment to community saw the successful conception of the Jamie Young Cup held in the Gorkana region of Nepal in May 2019. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Ainsley and Deb. It's a pleasure to be here introduction Rachel. I'm impressed myself. Thanks <laughs> Ainsley, very flattering. It's for you. your hard work.
0: Thank you, no it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Welcome, so uh, tell us about where
0: you're from Rachel. Well I wear a number of different hats as you alluded to in your very kind introduction but um, I'm, I'm most only known for my executive role within Computershare. I'm a general manager within the Australian business team and I've been with Computershare for over 16 years now and have 20 years in the, the fintech community.
1: Wow, that's great. Um, so tell me what's um, a hot topic at the moment in terms of boards and directors? I think it's fair to say with the whole pandemic
0: we've recently gone through, 2020 is going to bring some really new um, discussions around the board table. I think the last few years have been heavily focused around shareholder activism and also ESG and you know social responsibilities and and. My, um, one of my favourite topics, the whole gender debate and diversity inclusion, um, as we go through some challenging times, I think we're going to see some more focus around board refreshing. If you look at the ASX um, index in, in particular, the board board positions that are coming up are few and far between and um, it is a very male-orientated space um, outside of the ASX 300 in particular, but the top end of town have, have been making some real... Um, Inroads there, and you know, making you know on the stage for the right reasons. But I think the smaller end of town have got a lot to learn, and a lot to do to be seen to be proactively thinking about not just gender diversity, but um, skills, culture, background, and and things like that, and and skills. But from a whole refresh point of view, I think the whole tenure argument is a really good debate at the moment, where you know you've got a few things out there that might challenge the definition of independence. Um, And when we do see a board position vacant in that ASX space, it's very quickly filled with someone else with ASX-licit experience. I do think as we approach the end of 2020 and beyond, we're going to see those roles filled um, with people that have the right competencies, but not necessarily ASX-licit experience. So I think it's an exciting time for aspiring board members. I also think, sorry Ainsley and Deb, um, that there's going to be a real emphasis on looking at innovation and technology Um, more aggressively and thinking about disruption from within. We've seen a a lot of um, companies thrive and a lot of companies um, not do so well through the pandemic and different stages through their digital adoption journey. And um, I think there's going to be a lot more focus from directors thinking about disruption
1: from within. Definitely. And um, I guess what you've seen as well is a lot of businesses who um, were a little bit late to the technology train have had to accelerate that um, strategy and journey uh, quite rapidly in these times.
0: Absolutely, Ainsley. I think the whole AGM season is a good example of that. We're hit in our mini peak at the moment where um, there's been a bit of resistance for going down a hybrid or a virtual AGM model and and the current um, state of play has kind of accelerated that process. We've, we've had the bricks and known had the built the house for a long, long time. We've been doing virtual meetings for decades in, in some other regions where it was legislate, legislated for. Um, and there's always been a little bit of a question mark around ASIC's view. Um, but here in Australia, we're now seeing a lot of companies really accelerate that digital adoption. And I think it's the way of the future. So, Rachel, how are the hybrid virtual meetings working? Yeah, we've um, personally been involved in six this mini-season and the discussions have been quite broad. It's not just a conversation at the last minute with the company secretary now. The boards have become increasingly um, asking questions and wanting to be more involved and understanding how that works. And I think there's a lot of benefits from a um, a cost reduction point of view and efficiency point of view, but just it really gives issuers that have said we put safety first to be able to really to live by that and do so the digital adoption side of things the reality is we've got shareholders that um, they all have mobile phones and they're used to doing everything electronically so I, I like to say it's a myth when people say our shareholders are an aging demographic and don't have the competencies to engage digitally because our stats and and the facts are proving otherwise, shareholders are willing to engage digitally. They have the competencies, and as a matter of fact, they're doing everything by their mobile phones where where they possibly can. So,
1: yeah, if anything, they've um, even the ones with the time on their hands that um, surprise us all, really, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think everyone's seen the benefits.
0: I think shareholders often forget that they're part part owners in a company, and um, I think they can be a little hypocritical at times when they are holding boards accountable for their ESG and their social practices and standards. And I think by shareholders, choosing a digital channel is promoting the ethics and the journey of of most of the issuers they invest in as well. So I think when when you've got a shareholder, I think it's really important to remember you are a part owner of that organisation and you really should have an alignment with missions and values and your online participation is actually a, a... a
1: positive step forward for the overall journey of that in, that issuer you're investing in. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, um, you know, the changes that have come in place to the ASX listing rules and um, poll voting and things like that, are you seeing an uptick in that arena at the moment? Or?
0: The top end of town have always been quite efficient and have seen polling as a fair way to to get an accurate and um, all inclusive. Result, we are seeing the um, ASX 200, ASX 300, and all others getting on that journey too. Now, um, it's it's a bit of a conflicting conversation, and I can understand. Um, you know, in in nine times out of ten, the the proxy results give you an indication as to whether a resolution will or won't pass. But I also understand the argument of giving everybody in that room, or in this instance, on the phone or the website, wherever they're voting from, the opportunity to vote and have their have their um their voice heard so to speak but I am seeing in most instances issuers have been leading the you know doing really really well in that regard.
2: So with the changes to the listing rules and having the mandatory polling on some resolutions how's that going to play out do you think it's going to be a mix of proxy polling or are they going to lean more towards polling on most resolutions? It's a
0: really, really good question, Deb. And at some moments like this, I wish I had a crystal ball. But I think if we look at data as an indication of how, how behaviour has formed over the course of the last decade and where we think things might end up, it's fair to say that AGM participation has been decreasing year on year. In Australia, less than a quarter of a percentage of shareholders are actually physically attending the AGM. And although there's been morning teas and show bags and fashion shows and all kinds of things to try and encourage participation, the the, the simple reality is shareholder participation at the physical AGM has been declining. Um, so, I, I see the polling as a as a natural natural way to do things in a more efficient manner, but also the online component. Um, from where I sit, my perspective is the online component of an AGM hasn't necessarily increased participation. It's really moved the existing participants from one channel to another. Um, We're getting a lot more people uh, attend the meeting but they're not actually shareholders. So you'll see a lot more trusted advisors, competitors, um, employees, partners of shareholders and things like that attending virtually as a visitor. But in terms of shareholder participation, I personally aren't seeing much much of an uptake in that regard.
2: It's going to be positive in terms of transparency because more shareholders are going to get an opportunity to ask questions that they wouldn't otherwise, You know, if they can't attend a physical meeting, they can't ask.
0: I'm personally all for it, all for it. There is some, some traditional old school thinking out there that where a few people are a little bit scared of the courage that comes with not having to show your face and asking a question and the potential for some tougher questions
1: to be answered, but I'm all for it. And I think too, like you alluded to before, Rachel, you know, changes in digital strategy and things like that, but, um, you know, they say never waste a crisis and um, this is just a perfect example of uh, opportunities in the market and um, where are you seeing, um, I hate to use it, the buzzword of 2020, uh, where are you seeing organisations pivot um, at the moment? That's a really, really
0: interesting um, question to raise, Ainsley, and I think it's actually we're seeing a pivot to people coming back to the boardroom and asking themselves, what is our purpose? And I think there hasn't been as much p- focus on that in the past, but people are really looking themselves long and hard in the mirror and trying as directors in particular, what is our purpose and what what are we here to achieve and how does that link back to the stakeholder's best interest? And I think that's a real balancing act. Um, but I, I do think there's a, a real genuine, you know, what is our purpose type discussion at the moment? From a technology point of view, it, I think when we have been looking at boards, matrix and skills assessments in the past, technology hasn't always rated on that matrix. It's always been heavily focused around accounting, financial acumen, commercial acumen, legal um, and things like that, whereas I think when boards are reassessing their, their skills competencies and any skills gaps, technology is becoming a real player in that mix as well, making sure that they've got the right technical capabilities technology capabilities on on those boards I also think we're seeing a lot more focus on um, policy review and this is where it's really important to have an external partner such as yourself and three wise hours do a wonderful job in the market in that regard but it's really really important boards are more than aware that they are accountable for having processes and policies in place that you know, meet legal requirements, industry requirements, compliance, and specific regulations. But I think sometimes they forget um the importance of regularly reviewing those. So it's a great opportunity for boards to think about their constitution, is it modernised, Where are the opportunities to do things more efficiently and um, and and um still compliantly? I think it's also a really, really important time to just make sure that all of their policies are where they need to be as we um, go through very different times.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think too, you know, we're straight off the back of, um, you know, two decades worth of um, GFC, um, you know, the highlights of corporate governance failures. And when you're looking at um, boards that are reassessing their strategic plan and, you um, you know uh, what their outcomes are and their deliverables it's uh, a robust governance and risk management framework is what really will see um, boards and businesses deliver on those goals and objectives in a sustainable and ethical manner that um, kind of balances the needs of all stakeholders
0: You' yeah, absolutely right, and you'll see ethics, which i 'm very, very passionate about is becoming and a standing agenda around um you know um, boardrooms and really getting people to challenge themselves into their social responsibilities and and how that um, aligns with what they are how they're operating as a business
2: and um, I think when you look at the pandemic as an opportunity business cont- continuity plans are being tested
0: absolutely and although I'm not here wearing a computer share banner and I'm not here to represent computer share I'm here to represent Rachel today it's it's it, you're so very true Um Deb, I am more than ever prouder to be part of the Computer Share Purple family. We've got close to 16,000 people around the world and 85% of those people are working remotely at the moment and you'll see that not just Computer Share but all businesses aligned that have a proper BCP in place are, you know, are are really put to the test at the moment and it's great to see plans working and responding. At the time when you're putting them together, you think, oh, this is never going to happen. We're never going to never going to need this and I think it's a good example of where proactivity really, really shines through and you don't want to have a reactive approach through times like this.
2: So when we were chatting before, you said you have been working from home for eight weeks. So yeah. obviously you were obviously well-placed, Computer Share was well-placed to have everybody Absolutely. working from home. Absolutely,
0: It has been business as usual for us. It's been our call centre service um, levels have not been impacted, you know, compliance has not been compromised. Um, I think it's, really, it's a really comforting time for issuers to be partnering with Computershare because we know that, that we've kept them compliant and got them through a, a very challenging part of, their, part of their corporate journey. But absolutely, we have tried and, tried and tested the work-from-home model and it's proven to, to work.
2: So have That's many companies
0: taken the opportunity to extend out their AGMs? Yeah, so there was some ASIC guidance where they were giving some some relief but to be honest, I'm seeing most um of of the issuers is that I'm personally involved with stick to their stick to their timetable and get things done um as opposed to putting the emphasis on the physical meeting there's been a um a very quick and accelerated adoption rate for the virtual component of the a g m but we're not seeing you know that there may be a handful of um entities that are looking at pushing it and and getting that time benefit but I think most companies um, are quite
1: happy for technology to play its role. And um, before Rachel, you mentioned ESG is at the forefront of businesses, and I think too with the, um, you know, the sort of in institutional investment mandates around um, um, ESG and um, focus on climate change and things like that. What are you seeing as? Um, the core focus on non-financial emerging risks in a business of your size?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. We're seeing it's become a real um, priority for investor relations um, personnel throughout Australia and, and beyond at the moment and really challenging their board to understand their own personal obligation and what they're doing personally to undertake learnings and, and understand um, and mitigate risk and exposure in that regard. It's a really interesting one because you get mixed mixed opinions and mixed views from issuers and it's also to me it's really difficult to measure. How do you measure particularly around culture and and what kind of targets do you put in place? So um, I know I'm sounding a little bit vague, but it's a real difficult one. And I'm just watching the trends and, and um, different approaches from different organisations across different industries. You've got some really, really good examples. And I'm not here to um, reference clients or market participants, but from um, I'm Oricobre, they stand out to me as someone that's really got a good understanding of their, e- their role within ESG but how to measure it, how to report on it, but more importantly, how to tell their story. And I think they're doing a really, really good job of um, getting their messaging out and not just talking the talk,
1: but walking the walk. And what sort of things do you um, kind of look at for um, measurement of culture? Is it, um, you know, uh, adherence to code of conduct? Is it exit interviews? Is it random checks from board managers right through to, um, you know, people who are at the Coal front of the industry or?
0: It's the hardest thing to measure but you know within your gut whether you're operating in a business with a good culture or a bad culture and I think you can have as many employee engagement surveys as you like but there is nothing more powerful than walking around and having some honest chats with all of your employees. There is still a fear with surveys about being truthful and honest and the confidentiality confidentiality of it not necessarily being being there and, and people often go into job protection mode and, and tell you what you want to, think, want to hear rather than what you need to hear. So I think f- for me personally, it's about getting around each of your footprints, having really good personal relationships and creating that trusted in- environment where you, you get a good feel of how your employees are feeling. Um, also, tenure is a, is, is a good indication if you're having a lot of turnover of, and losing good people for bad reasons. I think that's an indication of culture. But also um, I find um, client satisfaction as a good uh, as a good litmus test as to how well the culture is tracking um, a computer share. For example, 98% client retention rate. We've got very, very loyal, satisfied clientele. To me, that's a testament of people that believe in your offering, believe in your servicing and come to work every day to go above and beyond and service their clients. So I think if you've got clients, Really, if you've genuinely got sticky, happy customers, that's a good sign that you've got um, happy employees. When it comes to doing the right thing, you need to be transparent and, um, you know, I know that a whistleblower policy is mandatory but the number of listed entities that still don't have one visible on their website is really quite alarming. And I think you can get a good sense of the culture when, when you look at websites and see what kind of policies and procedures are out there publicly because the message and the tone is set from the top and and um, I think you can do your own due diligence as to where the culture is is right in that regard.
1: Do you think some boards still see governance as a tick and flick exercise? Like, unfortunately, yeah. yes, I do. I do.
0: Not all boards. I think majority of boards are, it's, understand it's their, their duty of care and an absolute requirement
1: of their role. But some boards, yes, I do unfortunately think do you think, in the current environment with the pandemic, um, you know, with staff stand downs and redundancies and um, potentially, um, you know, employees wanting to try and take up entitlements that may not have been provisioned for, do you think that's having a negative impact on culture and staff morale at the moment?
0: Yeah, I think um, we're seeing different impacts across different industries in different stages. There is a lot of stress in business at the moment, particularly with organisations that have had a really successful track record. And for many of them, they've been um, employees of that organisation for their entire career and all of a sudden they're faced with a circumstance that is not just impacting the direction of the business they, they work for, but it's having an impact on their personal life, an impact on some of their 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 family and it's created a lot of stress. And I think because this stress is new and the uncertainty, unfortunately, we are seeing people behave a little bit differently, which is having an impact on, on the wider com- business community, their service providers and their employees. And I, I like to think that society is, um, has the empathy, um, the sympathy at the moment to understand this is not rational. It's, not, it's just just a, a phase. And if we all roll up our sleeves and help each other through it, you know, morale is going to bounce back. But I do think Depending, there is obviously some clear winners through the pandemic and um, I'd love to be a shareholder of Kleenex or hand sanitizers at the moment, but there's going to be different pressures and a lot of people are, are going through financial survival and not just financial survival, but business survival at the moment. And when people are under that amount of stress, you do see different behaviors and it naturally impacts on like fear is a very powerful motivator for people's behaviors.
2: And when you're talking to your clients, how are they looking after their employees' mental well-being?
0: I've been really delighted to see so much focus put on the workforce. I think it's fair to say that people are genuinely concerned about mental health, and um, it's been really, really refreshing for people to really embrace the whole school homeschooling environment and encourage their employees to use this as a time to reset, be an active member of your family. And use it as an opportunity to really forge strong bonds and have dinner together lunch together morning walks etc so i have to say deb all in all i've been incredibly impressed with the markets um, response in that regard
2: the jamie young cup
0: yes tell us about that for those of you that don't know me well i am very very passionate about giving back to disadvantaged communities and from a very young age i've been heavily involved in fundraising initiatives and um empowerment programs for some of Nepal's most disadvantaged um, communities. I get very, very emotional about it. And when I was 17, I had my first sponsor boy, um Shrestha, who is now 26 years old and a father of a beautiful, beautiful boy. And um, I've always had that mo- emotional connection. I've also, outside of that, had a very, very fond love of sport. And um, when my youngest daughter turned four, she... Um, grew a very, very fond love of soccer or football and um, naturally as, as a mum wanting to do the best best for their daughter, I became very, very active in, in that space. Um, I did a lot of work mentoring young athletes, transitioning them from the field to off the field around that sector and, and um, at the same time was doing my work in Nepal and I saw an, an opportunity to bring sports and community together to give these children in Nepal... Um, a little bit of hope and bring them some positive learnings through my love of sport. And Jamie Young, who is the Brisbane Roar goalkeeper and he was goalkeeper um, of the year, two years in a row, fantastic ambassador for for Nepal and has been an incredible role model for me, just someone that um, genuinely wants to give to community and doesn't expect anything back. He kindly agreed to um, join forces with World Youth International, a charity very, very dear to my heart. And um, the, the three of us, World Youth, myself and Jamie, just got together, put the thought together. And, and last year Jamie came to Nepal and we got 26 schools together in the Gokkana region of Nepal and um, over a five-day period played for the Jamie Young Cup. And it was just really, really remarkable to see that the, the children love, um, you know, just... That, that sport, bringing them together, feeling a value, feeling a purpose. It was incredible, just the infrastructure challenges and things like that. And um, there was one moment that I'll always remember, Deb, where they had um, I had done a capital raising to to help facilitate um, the build of a soccer pitch for the Cup and it was all beautifully grassed and I saw photos. By the time I got there, the local buffalo had eaten all the grass and it was just a dirt patch and there was – no seating arrangements, it was just on a slope that on one side of the field it was just a um, pretty putrid river to be honest where locals were washing their clothes, there were bodies being cremated as part of a ceremony for, for some people that had lost their life and there were buffaloes drinking in there. On the other side was a steep hill and all of the children from the village were sitting on the steep hill watching the soccer games going on on this dirty, dusty patch but it was the most remarkable soccer game i've watched in, watched in my life and yeah really really special
2: and the buffalo are really grateful for the grass they search <laughs> certainly are they're
0: wondering whether we're going to repatch it
1: yeah so with your um world youth international rachel um the treks that you do for nepal what's been your biggest challenge there
0: um, so I've done, I've done a few. I'm very fortunate to be part of the computer share foundation as well. And through my, my love of Nepal and giving back to community, there was an opportunity for us to revisit our corporate giving partners. And I'm delighted that a couple of years ago, computer Share and world youth, um, entered into a long-term partnership as well. So that gave me the opportunity to go back as a computer share employee, but also continue going back as a world youth, um, international ambassador, and also just as a personal journey. So the, the trekking, the most rewarding trek I did was in, in November last year with 20 other Computer Share employees. And first of all, I just loved seeing the magic of Nepal rub off on people that I work with and being able to share that spirit and share share that warmth was really, really incredible. And, and to me, that was the real highlight of the trek. But it was really good just to have the team together because some days you were walking up 4,000 steps, the altitudes kicking in. You've got diff- different people with different levels of fitness, and it really was a team building um, experience. I just kind of described to you the power of doing something like that with people you work with, um, and also you, you go there. Obviously, there was twenty one of us, and your relationships with those twenty one may not as be no, no may not necessarily be all positive and strong. So it was really good to go there and spend time with other. Um, key employees and and see the human side of them and go through challenges together and you come back with just such a stronger sense of collaboration and working together in unity and uh, I think it demonstrates when you've all got the same goal and you've all want to achieve the same outcome things are possible and the power of putting egos aside self-interest aside and I think boards and, and businesses can learn a lot from that approach if you sit down and you all work collaboratively and understand that everyone's got a different approach or a different skill to bring to that journey. Um, if you, you're, you know, all, all very transparent and open about having that same end goal and to be able to celebrate
1: it together is just such a wonderful feeling. Yeah, what a wonderful experience and story of empowerment, really. Thank you. Um, so with um, boards, um, I know you're a graduate of the AICD program and um, eventually probably aspiring to be a board director yourself. Um, What sort of challenges do you see in that space for, um, you know, you mentioned earlier diversity and, you know, being a female and with the percentage rates of women representation on boards actually dropping in ASX in the last 12 months? um, What sort of challenges do you see in that space? I've talked a little bit about fear before.
0: And I do think there, there is a genuine fear by a lot of competent females to take that level of responsibility and accountability. And without sounding sexist or gender specific, I feel like men in general are a lot less fearless. And I do think fear fear really is a barrier for a lot of aspiring female boards. I've sat on boards, served on boards, chaired boards. And um, I think for me, the hardest chairing um, a board in particular is having board members that have years and years of experience on you and being able to hold yourself with authority and not doubt doubt your capabilities. Um, I've struggled more with ageism as opposed to sexism in my career and, and, and felt really uncomfortable being surrounded by a lot of older, experienced talent. Um, but I think, I think it's fair to say when you're at that board seat, you've earned it. You've got a right to be there. And um, everyone has their own unique skills that they can bring. The thing that really annoys me, and um, this will go against most feminists, so I'm going to offend a lot of people here, but I'm actually mortified with um, the whole concept of gender quotas. I don't like them. I find it insulting and degrading. I'm a big believer in equal opportunity, and I never want to be one of those people that have got a position, a promotion, a board position because of my gender or because they had a quota to fill. Um, I want to make sure that, you know, the future of my daughters is about equal opportunity and everyone has an equal op- opportunity to progress or, or achieve their wildest dreams. And to me, quotas and targets aren't necessarily the way, way to get there. I don't have the answer. I don't have the, the, the silver bullet. But to me, it's about equal opportunity, regardless of your sex, gender, but but your age, your background, your cultural belief, your political belief, your religion, it should be the right person for the right role for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, even experience you talk about earlier, if you don't have ASX experience, um, we're seeing some of the most amazing young board members coming through the ranks in that sort of entrepreneur tech space. Um, and they're really bringing something to the table that, you um, the older generations might not have and um, I think to what you're seeing is that's um, kind of that respectful challenge and um, where the emotional quotient is meeting the IQ and um, really strengthening strategies and board proposals and I
0: couldn't agree more and I think one of the the most um, crucial competencies of emotional intelligence is so underrated. I'm a massive fan of Jacinta, our New Zealand leader. And if you have a look at her, she's leading. She's a real example of an empathetic leader. And um, I really admire that and I really, really love that. If you have a look at her, she's only 39 years old, 39 years old. And in her first term, she's dealt with a terrorist attack. She's dealt with an earthquake. She's dealt with a pandemic and she's nursed a baby. I, I just think the whole EQ side of things is so underrated and um, I'm hoping that this is a message to corporate world around, you know, leadership qualities and the difference between leadership and management.
2: I think with Jacinta, it's, it's her empathy yep. and her transparency that she's, you know, highly regarded for.
0: I agree. And um, it's her ability to convey bad news in a timely and effective in manner that provides clarity Um because I, I, I do feel that in general there is there is, a um, good communication when there's good news to be shared, but when there's confronting news, bad news, we, we could do a lot better at getting that out in a more transparent, comforting way.
2: I probably shouldn't say this, but I do share your views on diversity, and I've been doing quite a bit of research on it. And I think Australia is such a culturally diverse country. I think the cultural diversity elements being missed as well
0: absolutely absolutely I'm a little bit biased in that regard because my two daughters are half Asian and I I do look around and and do see we've got a long long way to go from cultural diversity but at the same time I think we've come a long way I'm I'm the granddaughter of immigrants Um, my dad's half my dad's Greek and my family um, migrated in the 50s from from Egypt on a boat to Australia Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit biased when it comes to the whole cultural diversity but I do think we've come a long way but we've got so so much further to go and there's a lot of um a lot of cultural diversity when you look at their qualification in education it's not necessarily um all about the university they went to but a lot of these um these candidates have gone to the school of hard knocks and they have seen a lot and their life experience is so much greater than you and i can ever imagine and they bring so much more resilience and depth to boards and i think that's underrated
1: Definitely. And um, I think too, when you look at um, disruptive events, transformation strategies, turnaround strategies, that's really where you can draw on that depth of experience and knowledge of those um, sort of well-experienced board members.
0: I couldn't agree more. Absolutely.
2: Thank you, Rachel, for joining us today. It's been an amazing journey you've been on and
0: it's been an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure and i wish you both the very best of luck for 2020 and beyond and keep doing what you are doing, keep shining you're doing a wonderful
1: job thank yes. you thanks rachel
0: that's all for today until next time happy podcasting and remember if you're enjoying the show check out our other episodes and all things governance at www3